Hello, my gorgeous friend. Hello. How are you? Beautiful. I'm doing. I'm doing well. <laughs> it's. It's. Uh, by the time this thing comes out, it's the new year, baby. New 2022. Year. Same <laughs> shitty me. I love it. Let's do this. <laughs> Not just true. kidding. Yeah, just kidding. No, we're going to get our shit together this year. Right? Everybody? I, I, did, I didn't say all of that. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't go that far. I just said you weren't shitty and that I'm obsessed with you. I'm obsessed with you. It's been too long. It has been. Because Way too long. We obviously had a little week off there. Yeah, we took a break. I didn't realize we were in the same state. Oh, I yeah. We were like actually really close to each other in the same state too. I had no idea. What a coincidence. <laughs> I just saw on the gram that Johnny had posted you with a bunch of dogs. And I was like, oh. Oh, my God. So many dogs. I got to really get my uh, my dog fill this weekend. Um, I cuddled for like three hours with a basset <gasps> hound who I'm in love with, Baxter. He's so sweet. Great name. Oh, it fits in perfectly. Fits in perfectly. Mm. Um, yeah. I think all in total, there are now eight dogs there. Oh, shit. Since like one showed up randomly. Yeah. So and they're like, well, you're mine now. Right? I was like, I mean, I'm not opposed. That's kind of my dream is to just like live in a house <laughs> with a bunch of dogs. So I'm about it. How about you, darling? You know, I was good. Uh, I don't know if I, I mentioned it on here that I was put in charge of a living nativity with my nephew and nieces. <laughs> you did not mention that. How did that go? How was that? <laughs> it went. Uh, I definitely was not set up for success in any of this. Cool. Uh, my dad was just like, I think the kids would really be into uh, dressing up as these religious characters and reenacting the nativity. I've not run this by any of them. Oh, but I have a feeling. <laughs> I, that they're I into think this. they're going to be super enthused. Let me guess, they weren't. Uh, the majority of them were okay, and then the ones who weren't into it, kind of when they saw the excitement of the others, were like, okay, that's fine, and they were all like dressed up. I didn't have any sort of script or anything because also they're aged five months to 11 years old. So the majority of them don't really know how to read yet. Uh, yeah. And you're lucky if you get them to follow directions. Yeah. Right. So, so I would just, you know, I had them all come out into the living room. Uh, and, <laughs> and then I had my niece who's five was dressed as the angel. I had her go out and then my brother's girlfriend's oldest daughter is 11. So she played the Virgin Mary and I was like, uh, so I was, I told my, my youngest niece to be like, Hey, um, just like tell her that she's going to have a baby and, uh, just go out and tell her she's going to have a baby and then have Virgin Mary just say like, that's not possible. So yeah. And oh, I was no. like, if you want to embellish, that's fine. Go for it. <laughs> Improbable way. <laughs> Improb- yes. Stage and. is yours. Yes. <laughs> yes. And, and. <laughs> so my five-year-old niece comes out adorable and she's blonde blue eyes you know literally what you know the angels look like comes out little angel wings a little outfit and uh tells my brother's girlfriend's daughter that she's gonna have a baby and she goes what but i took a pregnancy test (laughs) all right you're cut off from the improv no more and i was like (laughs) hey man that's the magic of live theater you never know what's gonna happen uh, oh, and oh my god, and I love the, it. the parents and the grandparents were all videoing it and dying, and they're like, "That was hilarious." And I'm like, "That's you know, great." I don't know if the if the times would have given it a rave, but you know, <laughs> the girls got comedic all, timing. You can't deny. They do. Yeah, they all came out in their outfits. They looked really cute. And <laughs> because so the youngest, who's five months, uh, was baby Jesus. 
okay, good. I was going to say, who is the big man? Yeah. Right. And I I had it purchased like any sort of baby Jesus attire because it's like a sheet, essentially. I was like, he wears like a, he's swaddled, right? What's what is he wearing? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, He doesn't need hair and makeup. He's fine. I guess we took some artistic license. Oh, no. (laughs) What is she wrapped in? So she wasn't wrapped in anything. She was wearing her like velvet Christmas Santa Claus outfit with oh, like this a is, Santa hat. This is a hell of a mashup here. It was either a Santa hat or like a Christmas tree like like headband. I don't remember which one it was. And like that's so you have like the nativity and then like <laughs> the Christmas baby. I the love Christmas it. baby. I love it was it. hilarious. That sounds really cute. So yeah, that happened. Um <laughs> And you, know? you obviously won an award for directing. Of because, course. My, yes. my directing career has started. <laughs> Fantastic. <laughs> that sounds really, really cute. And I love that. It was really funny. Yeah. Did you get caught up on any shows during your time off? No. Uh, no, I didn't. I I did my my comfort food of TV shows, which is Arrested Development. Hell yeah. So fucking good. Classic. The first three seasons are so good and they're just like, I love it. Um, I did get uh, some DMs uh, about people watching shows. Meredith, hey girl, what's up? Uh, She just started watching The Nick and she's obsessed. I'm like, I know, it's amazing. Fuck yeah. Uh, But no, I didn't. There wasn't really a TV. It was just spending lots of time with the fam and and the kids and their, you know, kids say the darndest thingsness about them. Which is really fun. It's fun do. hanging out with them. They do. And and it's so funny that they all have their little personalities and the yeah. things that they're really into and not. Like my youngest niece and I essentially have the exact same style. She is into like skeletons, but also like sequins and pink and tool. And I'm like, we're exactly the same fucking person. Hell yes. But you're cooler than I am, obviously. <laughs> I mean, the T-Rex Halloween costume says it all. Obviously. Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. Correct. She's like nailing it. Like she like... All she does is win, truly. So that was, you know, it was just great to see all of them and, and hang out with them. That's what the holidays yeah. are for, right? Yeah, exactly. Fuck yeah. Exactly. Uh, I saw my dad and grandmother after not seeing them both for four years. Holy shit. Which is pretty crazy. Yeah. How was that? It was good. It was really good. I heard uh, your dad painted something? Oh, yeah. So I had known he was working on this. He's been working on this for years, but he, my dad is a very talented artist, and I took this- Did not know that about Tom. Picture. Oh, surprise. That's where I get my, any of my artistic talent. Oh! So he painted me a very large oil painting of a picture that I had taken of my dog, who passed away a few years ago, and he finally gave it to me because we drove down to Florida, so I, like, finally had room to take it because it's literally, like, a I want to say like a, almost like a three foot by two and a half foot painting. It's huge. It's huge. Um, But it's very beautiful. And I actually didn't tell Johnny that's what we were going down there to get. I just said we, there was a really (laughs) awesome Christmas present that we had to go get. And so I kind of like surprised him with our Christmas present and he was like very touched by it. So that's awesome. Yeah. It was really, it was really sweet. I love it. Um, (laughs) Is it maybe still in my car? Yes. I have not actually gotten it out of my car yet to hang it up, but I'm going to I do mean, that I mean, you've been back for like four seconds, so oh my gosh, it's okay. girl. Yeah. Also, that fucking drive from Florida to New York. Yeah. Did long. you do it in one straight shot? Oh, yeah. I can't. I can't break it up. I don't know why, but like I just – I always want to drive straight through. That's fucking brutal. Oh, yeah. 
What's that, like 20 hours? It's like 18, kind of. 17, depending on stops. That's fucking brutal. It's pretty brutal. It's fine. Jammed out. Cruise control. Anything like, so, um, Disney from my parents' place is like three and a half hours and Key West is four. Okay, yeah. Anything more than three and a half hours, I get really, like, like, fidgety. Yeah. So when people are like, let's drive cross country, I'm like, I can't think of a worse thing other than let's you're like, <laughs> let's drive cross country and then camp in the woods. No fucking thank you. <laughs> All right. Noted, Monique. I'm not going to invite you on my next cross country trip. <laughs> Girl. Absolutely fucking not. I'm high maintenance, I guess. I have lots of... Uh... Oh, girl. You are the right <laughs> kind of maintenance. I love it. Thank you. I appreciate that. Um, we did get some some answers to questions from Queen Grace. Oh, shit. Grace. Grace. Hey, girl. In regards to our episode where you talked about the skydiving. Yeah. Tell me, tell me, tell me. Or, yeah. Possible suicide. We're not sure. Yeah. I mean, I'm going with... Play, but, I mean, know. Monique, Monique and I are sure. <laughs> the We're certain. <laughs> so from Queen Grace, I'm just now listening to your new episode, but in regards to the last one, one word about somebody that jumps out of an airplane and their parachute doesn't open 120 miles per hour, vaporized. <gasps> I've seen those injuries. Usually I from- got such a big wave of chills with that. Girl. Vaporized? Girl. <gasps> Vaporized, usually from two cars colliding head-on at 60 to 70 miles an hour each. It's literally enough to tear a metal car apart. So imagine what it does to people. Good news is, he never felt a thing. I mean, once his 20 seconds of consciousness were up. As for fiber analysis, I do dead bodies. I have absolutely no idea about the reliability of fiber analysis. (laughs) Although it's super flattering to think that you guys believe that I know so much about so many things. You do, Grace. You, you know do. all the things. That's why we always ask. You know all the things. Uh, also, if any of you kids are on TikTok, Grace has a TikTok channel, Queen Grace. Fuck yeah. And every weekend she does Death Investigation Jeopardy. What? And if she has stickers, people who get who answer the questions right get stickers from her. So That's awesome. Find her on TikTok and uh, partake of Death Investigator Jeopardy. We've gotten some of her stickers too. They're really cool. So they're fucking yeah. great. Yes, her Dead Man's Donuts one is awesome, and her pig one. The pigs, is, yeah, great. Fuck yeah. So as usual, Grace, we don't deserve you. Thank you so much for the intel, as always. As always, Queen Grace. Queen Grace. Thank you. Thank you. Vaporous. Yeah, I feel like I remember. I can't remember if this was. I feel like this is actually when we met in person. I remember bringing up my fear of like. One, either getting hit by a car or Mm. hitting someone with a car. I have like a real fear of this, especially in New York where there's a lot of pedestrians. And I remember her telling me like, oh, don't worry, you won't feel a thing. And I was like, thank you, I guess. That makes (laughs) me feel like weirdly a lot better about the situation. Obviously depends on how fast that car's going, but. Yeah, of course. Of course. Um, I just don't want any other person to contribute to my death in any way. (gasps) No. No, I think that's fair. I think that's fair that's for everyone to say. Yeah. Controversial take. <laughs> no, I want I want somebody there, Monique. I want direct input. No, no, I do not. I have a friend of mine, because I always joke that I'm going to die alone. And I have a friend of mine who's like, I, I think it's probably because I, I joke that like I have to be murdered by like a serial killer or something because of all of my, just my entire life's work of 
doing this kind of bullshit leading up to even this before. Moment. Yeah. I'll be like, oh, you know, I'm going to die alone. He's like, yeah, except for the serial killer who's going to be in the room with you. I'm like, yes, that is true. Yes. <laughs> thank you. Thank you for that. That that yes. that makes me feel better. <laughs> that makes me feel less alone in my death. Right. Thanks. I'm glad to hear I it. I get to be stuck with this fucking asshole. Great. Right. Do you have some spooky, weird, what the fuck story for me? Yeah. Of course you do. So I think this story is pretty famous, but I had never heard of it. You know what? Happens to all of us. Right? Yep. There's only so much fucked up shit you can read about in a lifetime, guys. Yep. And retain. Yeah, exactly. So I'm going to be talking about the Greenbrier Ghost. Okay. So let's let's get into the shit. Sources. Greenbrier, wv.com, wikipedia.com, wvexplorer.com, which has an article from the New York Sunday American from 1910, like completely. Oh, like you like can read the, entire the whole article. article. Love that. Yeah. So so that's what I pulled was the article, but it's on wvexplorer.com, medium.com, and washingtonpost.com. Little is known about the life of Elva Zona Heaster Shoe. She was born in 1876 and lived near Livesay's Mill in Greenbrier County, West Virginia. In the summer of 1896, Erasmus Stribbing Shoe moved from Droop Mountain in Pocahontas County, Virginia, to the sleepy village of Livesay's Mill. He was a tall, muscular man and decidedly handsome. And I saw his picture and he was pretty hot. It's not okay. like when oxygen <laughs> is like, oxygen, oh my gosh, like he, he was, was gorgeous. And it's like, dude, you need to fucking relax. Right? What? He was pretty hot. Okay, get it. You know, so I'm like, okay, all right, I'll accept this. <laughs> he had accepted a job at James Crookshank's blacksmith shop. He often introduced himself as Edward, but everyone called him Trout, which, you know, I don't whatever. think that's I a super catchy nickname, but then again, you know, maybe he liked it. Uh, I guess so. I mean, there are it's other the fish. fucking 1890s. Yeah. Also, if my name was Erasmus, I'm probably, I'm going to be like, yeah, Trout's fine. Whatever. I don't see. see. I'm the complete opposite. I'm like, these names are fucking rad. I mean, it's rad as fuck, but like. Yeah. I get it. See, I'd be like, call me E. I don't know. I'd be an <laughs> asshole. And everyone would be like, you're the fucking worst. No, they would not. <laughs> also, wait, I think this also comes from like having a name that people fuck up a lot. Like people don't really fuck up my name. Yes, that is so true. So I have like no real, yeah. I'm like, oh, whatever, fuck it. Yeah, yeah, everyone fucks up my name. They're like, I think you mean I think you mean your name is Monica. And I'm like, I'm pretty sure it's not. I mean not. it's my name. I think I would now. My social security and my birth certificate yes. beg to differ, but thanks for that. <laughs> Shortly after his arrival, Trout met Zona, as she preferred to be called, and the farmer's daughter was instantly smitten with him, and he with her. Zona's mother, Mary J. Heaster, on the other hand, was against the match between the two from the start. It's not exactly clear what Mary knew about her only daughter's boyfriend at the time. Maybe her mother's intuition was working on overdrive, but what is known for sure is when Mary Heaster met Trout Shoe, she did not fucking Wait, like Wait, his him. last name is Shoe? He goes by Trout Yeah, like Shoe? Elizabeth. Yeah. Okay, continue. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> There's a I lot see, happening I, with the yeah, name. No, I'm being ridiculous. You know? It's fine. Like, whatever makes you happy, dude. Yeah, and I do the first name situation, so he's you're just gonna hear me say trout like fifty thousand times. Love it. Let's do this. <laughs> but Zona was young and in love. She didn't care about her mother's disapproval, 
and after a brief courtship, Zona married Trout at the Old Methodist Church on October 20th, 1896. After the wedding, they took up residence in a small two-story frame building, which had been the residence of the late William G. Livesay, after whom the town was named. During the first few days of January 1897, Zona fell ill. She was under the care of Dr. J. M. Knapp for several weeks, and Trout appeared to be very attentive to his young bride's needs. Early on the morning of January 23rd, Trout stepped by the cabin of his neighbor, Aunt Martha Jones, to ask if her 11-year-old son, Anderson, could go by the house and do some errands for the ill bride. Anderson later recalled, quote, I can remember it well. It was a Saturday. Mammy told Mr. Shu I had to go to Dr. Knapp's first and finish some work there. He seemed to resent this, but asked if I would go later in the day. Four times he came back to the house for me, each time I was busy. About 1 p.m. he came again, and I agreed to run his errand. Going to the house, I felt that something was wrong. All of the doors were closed, and there was an air about the place I did not like. Reaching the steps, I saw a trail of blood. <gasps> get the fuck That's... out of there. Go. Mm-hmm. Get. Yeah. Run. And he's 11. Get, run. Little boy, back home. Bye. Don't go in there. That scared me, but I went to the door and knocked. No one answered. This kid is like way more like, I'm like, goodbye. I'd be like, yeah, I totally did the errand. <laughs> it just sort of right? fucked off the second I saw I saw the blood. Oh my God. I love how this little kid's like, no, they're going to like yell at me if I come back and it like didn't knock on the door. Mm. I got to at least like knock on the door. Like, fuck. This poor little boy. Mm-hmm. But I went to the door and knocked. No one answered. I tried it and finding the door unlocked, walked into the kitchen. The trail of blood continued across the floor to the dining room. This door too was locked. Once more, I knocked and getting no answer, I walked in. I stumbled over Mrs. Shu's body. Oh, little boy. Trauma forever. Forever Mm. and ever. Yes. There she was, stretched out on the floor, looking right up at me, through wide open eyes, seemed to be laughing. Which can you- Oh, chills. I know. No, no, Mm -hmm. no. Twice when you said Mm -hmm. the looking right up at you, and then when you said the laughing. Ah. Mm -mm. Mm -mm. (sighs) Mm-mm. I was frightened, but still able to reach down and shake her. She was stiff and cold. Running from the house, I called across the field to Aunt Martha. Mrs. Shu is dead. End quote. This little boy is so brave for even, like, trying to check to see if she was alive. I know. Still, like... I can't even handle this. Yeah. <sighs> We're not the same person at no, all. No. The 11-year-old ran down the road to the blacksmith shop to tell Trout what he had found. Anderson remembers him letting out a yell before heading to the house, and Anderson continued to Dr. Knapps for help. By the time the boy and the doctor reached the house, Trout had already moved the body of the newlywed from the floor to the bed. Victorian custom dictated that female family and friends wash and dress the deceased. But by the time Dr. Knapp arrived, Trout had already prepared Zona for her funeral. He dressed her in a long gown with a high collar and adorned her neck with a scarf that didn't match, but insisted it was her favorite. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Okay. We see you. Mm-hmm. Try not to be so obvious. Oh, like, wait. Like, no, no. She needs this scarf, too. And the turtleneck, I think. I think she loved this turtleneck. It was her favorite. Mm-hmm. Cool. Dr. Knapp immediately started investigating to see if Zona was alive. 
All the while, Trout, the usually stoic blacksmith, was cradling her head, crying and wailing for her to come back. Whenever the doctor tried to examine her head, Trout refused. It was clear the 23-year-old new bride was dead, so Dr. Knapp conducted a post-mortem that was more for show than anything else. Dr. Knapp thought that he ought to give the distraught widower his privacy and concluded his examination, declaring her cause of death to be, quote, an everlasting faint. Her heart has failed, end quote. Old-timey, like, yeah. diagnoses are so hilarious. An what? everlasting faint? What like, I want to def- know is what? that... Because they're like, essentially, she had a heart attack. But I want to know if they would say that bullshit if it was a man or it's like, you're dainty, so you had an everlasting faint. You just fainted and then never woke up. You're so silly. At 23, clearly. I couldn't find any reason why this next bit happened, but he later changed the cause of death to childbirth, though Zona was not known to be pregnant. Okay. Do with that information what you will. Weird choice there. Mm-hmm. The next morning, Zona's body, accompanied by her husband and several neighbors, was taken over the mountain to her mother Mary's home to wake the body as it was custom at the time to hold wakes at home. The mourners gathered to pay respects, but Trout wouldn't allow anyone near her head. Instead, he fussed with a scarf, added a veil, he placed a folded sheet on one side of his wife's head and some nondescript garment on the other, serving to prop her head upright. He claimed he wanted to make her comfortable. He went on weeping and grieving and pacing in front of the open casket. He never once left his dead wife's side in the presence of others. But when he was not at the coffin, he permitted no one else to go near it, not even her mother, always taking his place at the head of the corpse, guarding it closely until she was buried the following day in the little family graveyard high up on the side of a mountain. This dude has zero fucking chill. Yeah. Like, like yeah. <sighs> I mean, I guess it worked because, like, they were didn't really examine her and fucking just buried her body. So, I mm-hmm. mean, I guess I'm giving him credit on this one. But, like, dude. Uh, no. I don't give credit because he's actually the worst. Oh, no. He's trash, Monique. Obviously. Yeah, of course. While most of Zona's friends and family found the usually stoic widow's overwhelming displays of grief a bit odd, no one found them suspicious. No one, except Mama Mary, of course. She knew something the fuck was up. She never liked Trout from the get and was certain he had something to do with her only daughter's untimely demise. Yes! Yes! Fuck yes. You don't fuck with a mama bear. No. Don't. Mamas know. They fucking know. Hashtag not Eyes a mother, but I head. know you don't fuck with a mama bear. Yes, but you know your mom knows. Goddamn right. Mary was a God-fearing woman who knew the Bible forwards and backwards. And 1 Thessalonians 5-7 told her to pray without ceasing. So Mary prayed. She prayed for nights on end that her daughter would somehow come back and tell her what happened, or at least come back and say goodbye. After several prayerful and uneventful nights, Mary was awakened from her slumber by a noise in the little cabin room. Peering through the darkened room, Mary saw a strange light enter her bedroom. The aura then began to take human form. It was her daughter, dressed in the very dress she had died in. The young girl seemed to speak, but when her mother reached out her hand, the girl disappeared. The next night, Mary resumed her prayers, praying long and earnestly that her daughter would return again to explain her death. Once more, they were answered. 
Zona's ghost appeared once again, but this time she spoke. She told her mother about the night she died. The night before young Anderson found her body, Trout came home and looked at the dinner his young bride had prepared for them. She served apple butter, a spread of preserves, and good bread. Ugh. Marry me, Zona. Right? Love it. Love all of that. But here's the thing. He's a trash person. Obviously. Yeah. She hadn't cooked any meat. And this fact threw Trout into a fit of rage. In the world's most disproportionate response to having a vegetarian dinner, he attacked his new bride, placing a hand on each side of her head, and with one quick motion, (gasps) he dislocated her neck, snapping it at the first joint. Oh, Monique, I thought he just strangled her. No. No, literally like a fucking chicken. No, 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 no. Uh, uh. Zona's ghost revealed it wasn't the first time her husband had hit her. Trout had a terrible temper and she couldn't reason with him. Zona's spirit visited her mother two more nights. And on the last night, as if to make her final point, Zona twisted her head around 180 (gasps) degrees to show her mother how broken her neck was. Chills. Literally same. What the fuck? Secure in the knowledge that her son-in-law was a murderer, Mary set out to take him down. She told neighbors- Fuck yeah! Don't fuck with the mama bear! no! Get him. Get this trash piece of shit. Absolutely. She told neighbors and authorities of what had happened, but nobody believed her and chalked it up to the ramblings of a grief-stricken woman who had lost her only child. Mary told her brother-in-law, Johnson Heaster- And he thought that there might be something to the story. So he confronted Trout and found that their conversation aroused even further suspicions. No chill. After after interviewing Anderson Jones, Johnson was certain that his niece was the victim of foul play. So Johnson and Mary went to Lewisburg to pay a visit to prosecutor John Preston, who was one of the most brilliant lawyers of the day. Preston had already heard of the fantastical ghost story before the two had even arrived. These were small towns, after all, and crazy shit like this spread around like wildfire. Yeah. But he gave little credence to it. But now, Mary was here in person to tell him that these stories were in fact true and that Trout had murdered her daughter. Johnson added his suspicions gathered from neighbors. And when the three concluded their hours-long meeting, prosecuting attorney John Preston thought that there might be more to the story. He started off by questioning Dr. Knapp. The kindly old physician admitted that his verdict of heart failure as the cause of Mrs. Shue's death could be wrong. While she had been sick in the weeks leading up to her death, Dr. Knapp said the circumstances surrounding her death had given him some cause for suspicion, not to mention that he wasn't able to thoroughly investigate the body because Trout had been so grief-stricken that he made any sort of examination nearly impossible. Since Dr. Knapp admitted that he wasn't able to perform a thorough investigation, John Preston ordered Zona's body disinterred. Both men agreed an autopsy would prove whether or not Mary's strange theory was true. At minimum, the examination would at least serve to relieve the aching heart of a saddened mother and clear Trout of any wrongdoing. The following day, Preston and Dr. Knapp informed Trout of their plans to exhume his wife's remains and ordered him to accompany them to his wife's grave. They also took neighbors Aunt Martha and Little Anderson along. While Trout vigorously protested against the disinternment, he dared not refuse to accompany the investigating party. Throughout the long journey to the gravesite, 
he kept muttering, quote, I don't know what in the name of God they are taking her up for. They are not going to find anything. End quote. Mm-hmm. Sure, sure. Sure, Jan. Yep. They exhumed Zona's body and took her to a little building where doctors Knapp, Rupert, and McClung performed an autopsy over three days where Trout was required to remain in the room. Which, oh! trauma. Yeah. Like, even if you haven't done anything that's traumatic as fuck super traumatic it's especially more traumatic if you didn't do anything if you murdered her like if you murdered her you kind of deserve to like absolutely fuck you but if you didn't trauma for the rest of your fucking life so much trauma Mm -hmm. the physicians initially searched for poison but found no trace of it trout kept his composure as the doctors examined the lower portion of the body maintaining his innocence also in the fucking room during the entire fucking autopsy was 11-year-old Anderson Jones. This fucking kid, like, cut this kid some slack. Like, let him go play ball or something. Like, why yes. Why is everyone's goal just to traumatize this child? Literally. <sighs> Jesus. On the third day, Dr. Knapp was about to give up when he made a startling discovery. One that Mary had told them they would find. Anderson said, quote, Dr. Knapp was working around Mrs. Shue's head. I could see Shue was getting more nervous. His whittling was not so good. Suddenly, the doctor turned to Mr. Preston. They whispered together for a few minutes. Then Mr. Preston turned to Shue and said, quote, Well, Shue, we have found your wife's neck to be broken. End quote. Zona's neck had been fractured between the first and second vertebrae, just as her spirit had told her mother. Upon this discovery, Anderson said, quote, Shu's head dropped. A change came over him that I can't explain, but it certainly proved his guilt to me. End quote. It's fucking 11-year-old. Okay. Oh, yes. First of all, kudos to this kid. Yeah. He's clearly badass and amazing. Um, I'm sorry. This autopsy took three fucking days. Three and they didn't start with her neck, the thing... Like, they had at least a hint that that's yeah. probably what it was going to be, where they're like, well, they said it's the neck, so why don't we just start at her toes? Like, what were you actually <laughs> literally thinking? You could have literally. literally saved yourself three days, and this poor 11-year-old child, three days of autopsy trauma? I think The thing that's not really being said in any of this, that I'm going to read between the lines, maybe... Okay. Is, I think one is that she was a woman, so it's like, and you, you know, get the vapors and whatever the fuck, so you can't be trusted. Two, the thing is, Anderson is black. And I think, one, this is like textbook shit of someone else has to find the body. That's why he kept going back to the house to be like, hey, can yeah. you do this fucking can errand or go? not? Please do yeah. the errand, do the errand, do the errand. So you can have someone else. And even though... You know, because they interviewed him for an article when he was much older and that they said that he was a respected black man in the community. As an 11-year-old and as a black kid in 1890s West Virginia, yeah, I'm going to guess that you probably didn't have, like, the best credible anything. And if anything, I even kind of feel that maybe Trout was like, oh, maybe we could just pin it on this black kid. That could be me putting on... Uh, reading a little too in between the lines. Okay. I don't know, but it is of note to me that he's African American. Okay. And he's the one who's asked to go and uh, to essentially be the one to find the body. 
That is Drink very that sketchy. Yeah. Yes. That is, like, noteworthy. Yeah. Zona's body was buried once more, and Trout was immediately placed under arrest. A coroner's inquiry was held on March 1st, 1897, with Trout accepting no responsibility in his wife's death. But the jury couldn't overlook the mounting circumstantial evidence and charged him with murder. Fuck yeah. Fuck yeah. Absolutely. Trout hired defense attorneys William Rucker and James Gardner, with Gardner being the first black lawyer to practice in a circuit court in West Virginia, which, that's fucking rad. Yeah. It's unfortunate that your client is a piece of shit, but, you know. Yeah. You gotta take the little wins. (sighs) Yeah, you don't really get your pick of cases if you're the first black lawyer. Yeah. Oof. Yeah. Totally. On June 30th of that same year, Trout's trial began. While on the stand, Trout claimed the charges were nothing more than the consequences of having a spiteful mother-in-law. Problem is, Trout wasn't exactly a Boy Scout. It came out in trial that he already had a criminal record, having served two years in the state penitentiary for stealing a horse, which I guess is Grand Theft Equestrian at this point, right? Yes! I love that so much! (laughs) (laughs) I mean, it's a bit because I was like, for a horse. And I'm like, oh, but that's basically like, it's Grand Theft Auto, but it's Grand Theft Equestrian. Yeah. Yeah. It also came out that he'd been married before. Zona was his third wife. Whoa. Okay. His first wife divorced him because he had abandoned her and their child. And it also didn't help that he used to beat the shit out of her. Yeah. His second wife died suddenly when he claimed to have accidentally dropped a brick on her head while he was making repairs on the roof of their home in Pocahontas County. Girl, none of this was a cute look for Trout. And they're like, oh, that's so weird and tragic. Sad for you. Not sketchy Mm. at all. Yeah. Yeah. And the fact that he's like sobbing, like, you know, and of course grief, you know, how people react and whatever is very personal and and it, it's not indicative necessarily of of someone's innocence or not but it, it definitely gave me michael peterson vibes of the 911 call yes like, oh, and you're like uh and he's just not listening to the 911 operator and it's like if you weren't certain she was dead and you weren't certain what happened to her then why aren't you listening to the life saving the potential life saving instructions the 911 operator is giving you yes sketchy and it just was seemed like like when i i I read this like when i looked up the story i'm like this just all comes like seems like bad acting and yeah this is crocodile tears for sure like fuck yeah but you know what if you guys think the owl did it let me fucking know send us a dm (laughs) um (laughs) (laughs) oh my god i don't know I know people do um (sighs) but i i think uh that's a really fake 911 call that's just my my two cents but that's not what we're talking about we're talking about this piece of shit trout throughout this entire trial was adamant that he loved his wife and he maintained his innocence john preston called dr knapp and neighbors who saw the body to the stand but was hesitant to call mary heaster as a witness he knew that if she went into the visitations from zona's ghost that that would prove to be too fantastical for the jury and it would surely discredit her the defense attorneys thought the same thing 
So they called Mary to the stand, certain that her story would make her look like a Looney Tune. Uh, it's like 18-whatever. Like, it's the 1890s. Everyone helping. fucking believes that shit. No one's gonna <laughs> not believe her. Stop it. Sorry, <laughs> yeah. people from the 1800s, but like, <laughs> I mean, on. let's be fucking real. Let's okay. Be- because I think also the Ouija board kind of came out around this time. Yeah, fuck. I believe it was the 1890s. Yeah. I believe. Um, so people are like super into like spiritualism at this point. But I'm glad that you give people this much credit. And here's the thing. Given that the only thing tying their client to the supposed murder was this ridiculous story, they were certain that once the jury had heard it, the case would be thrown out. After Mary was asked to recount her experiences with Zona's apparition in detail... Defense attorney William Rucker cross-examined the witness. Below is a portion of the court transcript. Rucker. Mrs. Heaster, are you positively sure that there were not four dreams? Mary. Yes, sir. They were not dreams. I do not dream when I am wide awake, to be sure. And I know I saw her right there before me. Rucker. Are you not considerably superstitious? Mary. No, sir. I am not. I was never that way before, and am not now. Rucker, do you believe in the scripture? Mary, yes, sir, I have no reason not to believe in them. Rucker, and do you believe in scripture contains the words of God and his son? Mary, yes, sir, I do. Don't you believe it? Rucker, now I would like, if I could, to get you to say that these were four dreams and not visions or appearances of your daughter in flesh and blood. Mary, if I'm going to say that, I'm going to lie. So to recap, he's like, hey, are you like, do you believe in God and stuff? And she's like, yeah, totally. Uh, do you? He's like, uh, never mind. So like, can we just say that this is like a dream? Can you just like say the thing I want you to say, actually? Like, that would be really helpful for my case. Thanks. This is like the shittiest cross-examination of, because you right? know, good lawyers will like trip you up. They like go out of their way to trip you up to like, yeah. and he's just like, hey. Just between us squirrel friends. Um, can you just tell me, just say that it's a dream. Just say it's a dream. Is just that like cool? under oath, if you could, that would be super great. Thanks. That would super help my case. Okay, thanks, bye. Yep. And she's like, um, no, actually, because it's I'm going to lie. Because so that's no. perjury, and I don't want to perjure myself, so yeah. I can't do that. But when She's I, like I, so I was polite like, about this, too. Like, Yeah. Because also, this is the thing, this is Victorian era, so... How you behave and how you dress and everything is very heavily scrutinized. So even the fact that that this dude, even if he wasn't guilty as fuck, is like sobbing and shit, that's very not appropriate behavior in this time period. Yeah. At all. Which would be suspicious. I don't know. Whatever. I don't know. But Mary stuck to her fucking guns. Zona's presence was as real as anyone in the courtroom and she had never been more awake than when she saw her daughter. Not only that, Mary knew details of the murder that no one else did. She knew where she was killed, she knew what she was wearing, and all of her injuries. Bam. The jury was left with circumstantial evidence, and when the judge dismissed them to deliberate, he told them, quote, There is no middle ground for the jury to take. The verdict, inevitably and logically, must be for murder in the first degree or for an acquittal. End quote. The jury convened for an hour and ten minutes before they found Erasmus Trout Shoe guilty of murder in the first degree. Fuck yeah. Fuck yeah. Goodbye. Bye. He was sentenced to life in prison, which ended up only being three years. 
because on March 13, 1900, Trout died from the flu epidemic in West Virginia State Penitentiary in Moundsville. He was 39. No one from his family came to claim his body. Since the trial, the state of West Virginia erected a state historical marker near the cemetery in which Zona Shu is buried. It reads, quote, Interred in nearby cemetery is Zona Heaster Shu. Her death in 1897 was presumed natural until her spirit appeared to her mother to describe how she was killed by her husband, Edward. Autopsy on the exhumed body verified the apparition's account. Edward, found guilty of murder, was sentenced to the state prison. Only known case in which testimony from a ghost helped convict a murderer. End quote. Damn! Okay. This is literally a fucking, like, a, state like, marker. Yeah, that's crazy. So, obligatory devil's advocate. advocate time. Yep. Katie Letcher Lyle, a writer and amateur historian, concluded in a 1999 issue of Wonderful West Virginia magazine that Mary probably made up the ghost story in order to make a compelling argument to reopen her daughter's case. She said, quote, Mary knew Shu to be clever, unprincipled, and persuasive. If he'd murdered once, he could murder again. Perhaps she feared that if no one validated her accusations, Shu would prove extremely dangerous. So pretending to receive the news directly from Zona, she could appeal to the superstitions of her mountaineer neighbors and get a lot of public attention. As it turned out, she didn't need the ghost story, for Shu was convicted, according to every account, strictly on earthly considerations, without any unearthly ghosts, end quote. It is important to note that Mary Heaster went to her grave believing that she had been visited by the ghost of her daughter. And that is the story of Elva Zona Heaster Shoe, also known as the Greenbrier Ghost, also known as the only case in U.S. history in which ghost testimony helped convict a murderer. Holy fucking shit. Girl. Okay. In response to the obligatory devil's advocate, how the fuck did she? Yeah, how the fuck did she know that she got her neck broken? Like my yep. go-to was strangulation. Yeah, even if you were like, okay, he's being like weird about her head, neck area. Like it's got to be something with that. I'll tell them this. Why would that be your first guess? Really, she knew like too much shit. She knew that the dress that she had been wearing when she died. Which, like, okay, if it was her favorite dress, she kind of always wore it. It's the 1800s. You probably only have a couple. Like, okay, I see all of these arguments can be. There was a whole thing, too, that in the ghost, when when one of the times that the ghost came to her, described what the house looked like and what the area between the neighbor's house, um, of, of Anderson's house, and her house, and, and uh, Zona's house. And she hadn't been to the house uh, because she went to the, I don't even think she went to the wedding because okay. they kind of like eloped. So she didn't actually know what that looked like. And she was able to describe it perfectly. And she's like, I've never actually fucking been there in the three months that they've been married because it's the 18 fucking nineties. Yeah. And that's like, a and whole, traveling's like a situation. Yeah. You gotta like pack for, it's like days and you gotta like pack a bunch of shit and whatever. Yeah. Yeah. And while I understand the thing of like, you know, I'm a woman and people aren't going to believe me. She just knows to like the only other shit that I could imagine is that her mother's the one that actually fucking killed her. Yeah, it's the only way she knows all this shit. Which, like, if she did, well played. I mean, girl. Yeah, like savage. But don't fuck with a mama bear. Don't fuck with a mama bear. 
fucking crazy. Uh, so yeah, I don't fucking believe that she just like made it up to get them to look into her daughter's yeah. death. No, but whatever. Or Again, just like had a hard on for like the dude. Like no, like, no, this, no. But whatever, obligatory devil's advocate. Right. Yes. As we always do. You got to do it. You know. Uh, that was fucking crazy though. And I, despite you saying that's a very well known story, I did not know of that. I feel like yeah. the name sounded familiar, but I never like really looked into it and knew that it was like the only case that had basically had like spirit witnesses. Yeah. I'm down. I'm I think we need more it. spirit witnesses. <laughs> Murdered people, come back. Tell, tell your murder story. We got to fucking get these people out of here. Yeah. Fuck yeah, I'm into it. I love all those like movies and shit where like uh, Stir of Echoes is one of those. Doesn't ring a bell. Great movie. I mean, at least it was when I saw it. It's Kevin Bacon and he's like haunted by this teenager and he doesn't know why. And it's essentially that she was murdered and she's trying to like get someone to fucking pay attention to it. And he's like... And it's things like dig, and he just starts, like, he kind of goes off the edge, and his wife is like, dude, what the fuck are you doing? And he's like, I'm supposed to dig. She's like, for what? He's like, I don't know. I just know. I just know I'm supposed to do this. Um, It was a great movie. Uh, It might not be now, but it was when I saw it. Uh, It definitely made me think of the Teresita Bassa thing. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I remember the the obligatory devil's advocate on that one was very similar, where it was like, they worked in the same hospital, and she just, like, heard some stuff, and, like, she knew. She, like, found out and wanted and all- him to be caught. Yeah. Yeah. And all of these people, like, conspired together randomly of, like, I'm just going to leave at this time, even though it, there's no reason for me to yeah. leave at this time. And I'm going to go down this road, even though it's like, no, no. That, which, incidentally, that the Teresita Bassa story is fucking bananas. If you haven't heard it, go back to one of our episodes. Whatever. <laughs> go through it. Whatever episode it is. It's, it's fucking really bananas. And I'm obsessed really with it. Yeah. I definitely got got the vibe too when oh, yeah. I was uh, researching the story. It's because the fingers in the eyes, girl. The fingers in the eyes, baby. Yeah, always. I know we're psychic sisters. That's right. Yep. It's funny. I I was talking to Christina, and she was listening to the episode, and she's like, "Why isn't Monique reacting to any part of this story?" It's like <laughs> because I was like, "Don't react. Don't say anything. Don't smile because she's gonna know." <laughs> I know. And when I listened to it back, I was like, I feel like I didn't freak out enough. And it's because I was like basically shell-shocked. Where like I just like couldn't believe you weren't fucking with me somehow. Yeah. But yeah, I literally walked around in like a haze for like three days where I was just like, for sure. that was such a fucking, such a weird coincidence. And I just don't. Psychic sisters. I don't it's not a understand. coincidence. Yeah, I didn't understand. Like it was so fucking, so ridiculous. That was such a great way it. to like go out on break. End of year, yeah. yeah. Like I loved it. Yeah, oh, yeah, same. that was our last episode of the year, technically, because mm-hmm. this one, girl, I love it. Amazingness. All right. Are you so ready you for the- uh, The crime time? The true crime of the new year here? Yeah, baby. All right. So, sources. Allthat'sinteresting.com, medium.com, timeslive.co.ca, grunge.com, dailystar.co.uk, and allison.co.za. Allison Botha was born on September 22, 1967, in Port Elizabeth, South Africa. She was a typical South African girl and led a fairly normal life growing up in Port Elizabeth with her mother, Claire, and brother after her parents' divorce when she was 10. 
Despite the divorce, Claire was an amazing mother to her children and made sure they both knew they were loved unconditionally. Allison and her mother had a special bond and were always incredibly close. Allison was a good student and even served as head girl at the Collegiate High School for Girls in Port Elizabeth. After graduating, she spent a few years traveling before she eventually got a job working as an insurance broker, which she enjoyed. On December 18, 1994, a 27-year-old Allison spent the afternoon on the beach with her friend Kim and Kim's two sons, Devin and Jared. They were all having a good time, so they decided to head back to Kim's apartment so they could keep hanging out. Two of their mutual friends stopped by for a surprise visit, and it turned into one of those wonderful, spontaneous evenings of sitting Mm. outside on the balcony, enjoying the beautiful weather, and chatting with old friends. Love that. Great, right? Yeah. Eventually, it got late, so Allison called it a night and headed home. When she finally turned onto her street, it was around 1 o'clock in the morning, and there was no one out and about at this hour. She tried to park as close to her apartment as possible, but parking in her neighborhood was always a problem at this time of night. The parking space she found was about 30 feet from her front door under a massive old tree, and the pool of light from the street lamp didn't quite reach there. No. It was hardly ideal, but it would have to do. She turned her car off and reached for the bag of clean laundry on the passenger seat. Then she felt a gust of warm night air behind her as her driver's side door was pulled open. (gasps) Suddenly, like an apparition, he was there. Uh -uh. A tallish, scrawny, average-looking young man with light blonde hair. No. Leaning into the car, he immediately pressed a knife to her throat. That is fucking terrifying. Oh, my God. Girl! I know. I'm going to, like, I felt I should feel the need to, like, prepare everyone. Like, this story is a lot. But, Mm -hmm. like, also, everybody be cool. Like, I wouldn't, I'm not going to fuck you over on the first story of the new year. So, like. Okay, okay. Just, it's a lot. Okay, because okay. I was like, I know Amy's going to go for the jugular. No problem. Oh. Um, for the first Girl, story. Yeah. I fucking am. You don't even know. <laughs> I fucking know you. Yes. I don't know, but I know that you yes. were going to be like, we're going to do insurance fraud. Like, I knew that wasn't going to be the first story of the year. No. You know I couldn't do that to you, Monique. No, absolutely This is not. a goddamn true crime <laughs> podcast. And while I know that encompasses a lot, people expect gruesome murders. Yes, they do. Brutal attacks, etc. All the horrible things. This is all your fault, people. Listener. I know. You want this. You asked for (laughs) this. sick fuck. (laughs) (laughs) That's why I love you. Because you're all sick fucks like us. Just like us. It's amazing. Yes. (laughs) He told her to move over and threatened to kill her if she didn't. With no one around to help her or hear her scream for help, Allison did as the man said. Ugh. As they drove, her abductor said he didn't want to hurt her, that he just needed to use her car for an hour. After a bit, now Why the fuck her- is she in there? Take the car. Right? I'd be like, go, bye, have fun, like, drop it off later if you want to, like, otherwise just, like, take the car. I- I'm you know, cool you that. need to do the insurance payments the 15th of every month. Goodbye. Yeah, thanks. Appreciate it. <laughs> it takes regular. Don't worry about it. It's cool. After a bit, he matter-of-factly mentioned her apartment number, and it became clear that he had been watching her. Though it wasn't clear for how long. When he asked for her name, she told him it was Susan. Because fuck this guy, I'm not giving you my fucking name, you asshole. Absolutely not. She asked his, and he told her his name was Clinton. When she asked why he didn't just take the car, he told her he wanted company, and that they were going to pick up a friend who stole his TV and owed him money. You know, okay, all the best friends do. Like, what? Dude, this guy is not your friend. Fuck off. uh, I I mean... I want some company. I'm, like, lonely. I'm gonna... Because I'm... 
my my knee jerk is to argue this, but it's obviously a lie, so it's actually not even worth me arguing it because exactly. I know it's a lie. Obviously, exactly. This guy's full of shit. <sighs> yep. Clinton finally stopped the car when he spotted a short, sturdy young man dressed entirely in black. The mm. man broke away from a crowd and walked over so he could climb into the back seat behind Clinton. Clinton introduced, quote-unquote, Susan, to his friend who he called Theans. The two men began talking, eventually saying they were headed to Overbakken's, which was also where Allison's mother lived. <gasps> she hoped they would just dump her somewhere so she could make her way to her mother's house, but they drove past the exit for the Overbakken's and headed towards a popular stretch of beaches instead, ones that would be deserted this time of night. Eventually, he drove off the road and between some trees and parked in a little alcove well hidden from the road. Theans immediately got out and started walking around outside. Still in the car with Clinton, Allison asked him, what now? He told her they were going to have sex with her and asked her if she was going to fight. Oh Focused, my god. I know. Like, to have a calm conversation about this as if it's just fucking... Yeah, like, like the weather is like I'm going to Dunkin' Donuts. You want something or we cool? Yeah, I'm just like we're gonna have sex with you. Obviously, like where you did you oh not get my that? God, I just hate yep. everyone. Oh yeah, they're trash. Mm-hmm. Focused only on surviving, Allison told him no. He then ordered her to undress, which she did. Her sense of detachment increasing as each piece of clothing was removed. Ugh. When she finished, and with the knife still in hand, Clinton raped Allison while Theans watched. Afterwards, back in the driver's seat, he pulled up his pants, then leaned out the window to ask the other man if he, quote, also wanted to have sex (gasps) with the lovely lady, end quote. In Africans, Theans replied, quote, no, I want to fuck the fucking bitch, end quote. To which Clinton responded by playfully admonishing the other man, telling him not to call her that, that she was a lady. Which, like, my job is on the floor. Like, it's such a weird, like, mind fuck thing. Like, like gaslighty, weird thing. Like, no, she's not a bitch. She's a lady. She's a raping. lovely lady. It's like, you literally just raped me, you fucking asshole. Like, yeah, I am a lady, and this should literally never fucking happen to me ever. What the fuck? <sighs> yep. Theans came over to her side of the car, and when Clinton didn't move, she snapped at him, asking him if he was just going to sit there and watch. Clinton <gasps> said, yeah, he wanted to see. And although Theans wasn't fully aroused, he began raping Allison anyway. After several minutes, though, Theans stopped abruptly and said he couldn't do this. Pulling up his pants, he got out of the car and slammed the door, going over to sit on the hood, then slowly pulling an eight-inch hunting knife out of his pocket and setting it next to him before he lit a cigarette. Yep. Oh my god. Yep. Actual stuff of nightmares. Actual stuff of nightmares. And, like, this is the first time she's seeing that he also has a knife. Terrified at the sight of the knife, she asked Clinton if she could get dressed. When he didn't respond, she began to slowly gather her clothes from the floor of the car and quietly get dressed. Theans finished his cigarette and climbed down from the car. He was restless and began to pace. Allison watched him, trying to take in every detail to remember as much about these men as she could. You know, this comes up a fair amount in stuff like this. And I'm so, I'm always blown away that these people are are actively enduring life-changing trauma and are like, that they have the the sense of mind to be like, okay, uh, I'm going to survive this. Yes. And when I do, these motherfuckers are going down. So I have to remember every fucking thing I can to make sure that I get them. Yes. These people are like 
truly fucking heroes. They're truly fucking incredible. And I, like, can't. I am not one of these people, clearly. Girl, right? The end suddenly called out to the other man, Franz, and Allison realized that was Clinton's real name and immediately memorized it. Fuck yeah. Yep. Franz asked her if she was going to go to the police if they took her into town, and she promised she wouldn't, willing to say anything to get out of this horrible night alive. But Franz said he didn't believe her and debated leaving her there with no clothes on instead. They spoke in English, so she would understand them, wanting to scare her. Then one of them asked the other what Om Nick would do, which is another name for Satan, apparently, uh-huh. in South okay. Africa. The other man replied, I think he wants us to kill her. Despite those terrifying words, Allison still believed they were just trying to scare her. That, because she hadn't shown them any fear the whole night, they just wanted to see her beg and scream for her life but weren't actually going to kill her. Mm -hmm. When Franz again ordered her to take off her clothes, she thought they were just going to abandon her naked, as they said. She once again undressed, but left her sandals on, knowing she would need them to walk for help and hoping they wouldn't notice. Mm. Still convinced they were going to let her go, Allison was completely taken off guard when Franz suddenly threw himself on top of her, (gasps) his hands around her throat, strangling her. Oh my God. Yes. Allison begged him not to kill her. Franz said sorry and choked her harder. She eventually lost consciousness, you but know was what? still alive. Fuck yep. you. Dude. Sorry. Sorry. Don't, like, don't even- Don't say anything if that's what you're going to say. Seriously? Piece Fuck of shit. You. Yeah. No. I mean, oh, obviously. Yeah. yeah. All of it, you know, all of it's a piece of shit. But I'm like weirdly, really pissed about the sorry thing. You should be. It's extra. It's like the lovely lady thing. It's like- Dude, after all of this shit that's happening, all the shit you're doing, that's what you're going to say. Yeah. You don't get brownie points for this. Uh, No, it's fine. You can keep killing me. Like, you apologize. So I get it. Yeah. Your face. Correct. She eventually lost consciousness, but was still alive. The men, frustrated that she hadn't died immediately, threw Allison out of the car and began to stab her in the stomach. (gasps) Yes. Franz going so far as to make a comment about wanting to destroy her reproductive organs. They were, yeah, which is like particularly sadistic. Yes. And that just is. Yeah, I didn't know if that was to like cover up the rape situation, maybe. To me, it seems like, I just hate that you're a woman and I hate women. Yep. That's some misogynistic bullshit right there. Yep. Mm -hmm. That is what it feels like. They were both sure they had killed her, but when they saw her leg move, they realized she was still clinging to life. So they began slitting her throat. Oh my god. I know. When Allison suddenly regained consciousness, she was laying outside the car with one of the men kneeling next to her. Oh my god. She couldn't see his face, just his arm moving in a frenzy over her. She could hear her flesh split, a wet sound she had never heard before and realized the man was cutting back and forth across her throat. She said the whole thing felt unreal. Quote, I felt no pain, but it was not a dream. This was happening. The man was slashing my throat. End quote. Suddenly, the man stopped and moved away from her. She instinctively rolled to her stomach, and Allison was amazed at how alert her mind was in that moment. She heard mumbling and footsteps and worried they would come back, that they had seen her move, 
knew she had to play dead. She became aware of a low grumbling sound and after a moment realized it was coming from her throat. She tried to hold her breath to hide the noise, but she had no control over her breathing. When she went to cover her neck with her hand, her entire hand disappeared inside. I know. I know. This story, I was like, this story is a lot. Like, I probably should have trigger warning, like, all of this. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So if you made it this far, obviously, a trigger warning. Um, <laughs> I might add one in, in the beginning. Just I think you need to add a trigger it's, warning in the beginning. It's a lot. Yeah. You absolutely need to add one in. Um, I have not been reacting because I've literally stopped breathing and have Your been face. clutching my face. Yes. Oh. That is the response. My God. Girl. Yes. <sighs> Brace yourselves. Oh, my this God. Is, okay. Yeah. Okay. So her entire hand disappeared inside, but it worked, and Allison was able to hide the sound. She could hear the men walking off and caught some of their conversation in Africans. Do you think she's dead? One asked. No one can survive that, the other responded. Eventually, she heard them start- Does she speak Africans? Uh, She lives in South Africa, so- Oh, okay, this is happening. I'm sorry. This is happening in South Africa, so I'm pretty sure she- she might not have like a full comprehension, but she there. she knows enough. Yeah, yeah, yes. yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, okay, okay. Eventually, she heard them start her car and drive off. Believing she was about to die, she was determined to tell the world who had done this to her. She yes. wrote their names in the sand yes. and the heartbreaking words, "I love mom." <gasps> I know this I is literally like one. Yeah. Titus Andronicus, like the Shakespeare show. Which spoiler, they like rape the shit out of. Titus's daughter, and then cut off her hand. Her rapist cut off her hands and remove her tongue so she can't tell who did it. And then she takes her little nubbins and gets like a <gasps> stick and writes their names out in the sand. Yeah, bitch. Did you think I couldn't fucking figure out how to do this? I'll wrap the, write like, that shit with my toes. Like, what girl, do you mean? Yeah. My left hi. foot, he made fucking paintings. Like, <laughs> fuck you. He only I can write a foot. name down with a foot. Thanks. Um. Oh, my God. Yes. Then... Allison felt a fantastic lightness that lifted her from her damaged body. She was floating about nine feet above the ground and looking down at her mangled (gasps) body below. In that moment, she felt completely free and peaceful and instinctively knew this was a moment of choice. She felt a presence with her, within her, and believed she was being given a second chance. She felt there were still so many things she hadn't done that she had promised herself she would do. Chills upon chills. Oh my God. I know. My chills have chills. Yes. Yes. Then she saw headlights through the brush. They seemed closer than she originally thought. Suddenly, she felt herself snap back into her body. Now determined to try to make it to the road, she struggled to push herself up onto her hands and knees and pressed a hand to her stomach. She felt something tepid, wet, and slimy and looked down to see her intestines. No! Oh my god! Girl. Since she had been unconscious at that point of the attack, she was only now realizing that her abdomen had also been severely injured. She oh tried to scoop up her intestines with her god. hands. Oh my Girl, god. I know. I know. But everything just slithered away again. Although there was still no pain, she was unnerved. She had never been seriously injured before. And now here she was, cradling her intestines and unsuccessfully trying to shove them back inside. Feeling around her, she found a denim shirt one of the men had tossed over her body before they left and used it to wrap her intestines into a little bundle that she could oh. carry against her stomach. Which, my like, God. Right? 
just one that was a good solution for the fucking situation right now no like me i'm like there's so many things that there's so many poor decisions i've made in my life that as it's happening i'm like this is how it fucking happens (laughs) fuck yeah that is the i think that's the only thing that would be running through my mind like this is how it fucking happens oh my fucking god like how the fuck is this how this happens fuck not like not on what my watch. apparatus yeah. can I make <laughs> yeah. to keep my intestines close to my body? Right? Like, I know, dude. It's fucking, it's fucking crazy. It's fucking crazy. Oh the human's God. will to survive. Like, yes. Insane. Triumph of the will, but not like the Nazi propaganda <laughs> video. <laughs> just like as a general just, statement. Just as a, yeah. a concept. Yeah. <laughs> just as a statement of fact. I hate that they stole it because it's, it's. Because yeah. it's the fucking Nazis. <laughs> it's ridiculous. <laughs> Why we can't have nice things. Literally, facts. Allison also noticed her head felt odd, sort of loose and unsteady, but just ignored it and started the painstaking process of crawling towards the road. She collapsed many times, and despite her determination to survive, she didn't know if she would actually have the strength to make it. She told herself to go on if she could, but also that it was okay to give up. Oh my when God. she thought of her mother, though, Allison knew that she had to keep fighting. Ah. Yep. The mamas. That's the a mamas. fucking a vibe. She knew if they found her with a trail of blood behind her, then her mother would know that she had struggled and suffered and she didn't want to do that to her. Like, I know that like got me and gave me chills too. Yeah. Ugh. Now, redetermined to make it, she hoisted her body into a standing position with a tremendous effort. Girl, I know. You're not even ready. I'm not fucking ready for any of this, clearly. Suddenly, everything went black. Allison was conscious but couldn't see and realized her head had actually flopped backwards and almost rested between her shoulder blades. And in one of the most badass moves I've ever fucking heard of, she literally reaches back with one hand to pull her nearly decapitated head forward while still clutching the shirt with her intestines in the other hand. Like, Allison doesn't have a fuck to give. Clearly. Right? She's like, I'm a woman on a mission. I need to get shit done. Okay? Yeah. Just Am like, I like 90% decapitated? Whatever. I have shit to do. I have a hand. Goodbye. I can hold it. It's fine. Girl, I know. I couldn't handle this story for one fucking second, dude. Allison and I are not remotely the same person. No, Allison. I'm bleeding out on the side of the road being like, fuck, I'm sorry. Like, I I'm hate sorry. this is how it happened. This no. is how it happens. I'm sorry that I, was, I wasn't I was a better person. Fuck. Allison, like the BAMF of all BAMFs. I can't fucking. Literally, HBIC. Uh, for bitch in real. Charge. Literally. <sighs> I can't handle this story. I, dude, I couldn't handle this story. With her head in position, she clutched her throat to help stem the flow of blood Again, her whole hand nearly disappearing inside. She stumbled on, her sandals dragging behind her, becoming more hindrance than help. How the fuck is she not, like, like, uh, like, paralyzed? I, girl. Miracle. It's a miracle. Like, basically, that's kind of what everyone used. It's just a miracle. She was terrified to bend over to unbuckle them, but needed them off so badly that she was eventually forced to do just that nearly passing out at the task. Allison finally managed to make it to the road, but was worried no one would be able to see her if she laid down on the shoulder. 
so uh-huh. she stumbled to the middle of the road and collapsed on the asphalt. Uh. Absolutely exhausted, but still conscious, there was nothing to do but wait and hope someone drove by. A short time later, Allison heard the sound of an engine in the distance. She heard the car slow down and stop, and for the first time since her ordeal started, she felt relief. Her struggle to the road had been worth it, and she was elated. But as she laid there, listening to the engine idling, nothing happened. Oh my god. With the headlights on her like a spotlight, she couldn't imagine that they hadn't seen her, but began frantically waving anyway so they would know that she was alive and needed help. What felt like a long time passed, and still no one got out. Eventually, she heard the engine rev and watched as the Volkswagen Beetle drove around her and sped away. She began to panic. I'm sorry, what's the time? It's 60s, right? It's 94. Okay, she was born in the 60s. That's what it was. Yes, yeah, she was born Um, in 67. Guys, what the fuck? She began to panic at the thought that that might be the only car out on the road that late at night and was devastated that whoever that was hadn't helped her. But Allison didn't blame them for driving away. It may have been a woman alone who was afraid to get out of the car or whoever it was may have thought it was an ambush and that she was some sort of decoy. Sure. Yeah. Which, yeah. Which again, this kind of happened to the Mary Vincent thing too, where like the first car that saw her was like, "Uh uh-uh, I'm not. Absolutely not. No, 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 no. This is a, I cannot deal with this right now. I, yeah. I mean, here's the thing. Obviously, I have no idea about the story and I'm hoping what I'm going to say next is what happens. Like if it were me and it's 1994 and I don't have a cell phone. I'd be like, okay, I can't do anything, but I can go and get help and have someone else do the thing and because call. I also don't want to touch her because I'm going to fuck – I might, like, fuck her up more. Yeah. I'm not a doctor. I'm not a professional. Yeah. Exactly. I'm not a doctor. I play one on TV. You know, like, I'm like, I am not <laughs> I'm doing just a candy man. Yes. <laughs> Your Honor, I'm just a man. Which, on a side note, I was catching up on last podcast and they referenced it. Yes! They referenced Unfrozen Caveman Lawyer and I was like, my fellas – Yes. This is why I love you so much. I feel so seen with you. That's beautiful. So, last podcast. Love you. (laughs) Seconds later, Allison heard more cars and voices shouting. A woman began screaming hysterically, and Allison said it was the kind of scream you hear in some cheap horror movie. Mm -hmm. And it was then that she realized how awful she must have looked. Uh Everyone seemed to be talking at once, and after the earlier silence, she felt overwhelmed. Then a young man knelt down beside her and took a hold of her hand. He held her gaze and spoke directly to her. Allison said there was something reassuring about his demeanor, and she knew immediately she was in good hands. The man was a veterinary student named Tian Elard, who had been driving back from a night out with some friends when they spotted Allison's body in the middle of the road. What are the fucking odds? Right? She was naked except for the denim shirt she was holding to her stomach. As he examined her and tried to keep her calm, his friends called for an ambulance and notified the police. Tian said her neck looked like it had been slit from ear to ear, almost like a sheep that had been slaughtered. He could see everything inside the horrible gaping (gasps) wound, the veins, the muscles, her severed windpipe. He could also see something hanging out of the wound, but he wasn't sure if it was part of her trachea or her thyroid. But knowing it should be kept moist, he carefully tucked it back into her neck, then removed his shirt so he could gently apply pressure to the wound. My God. Right? This man. Like. Hero for days. Hero for days. All the kudos. All Absolutely. the accolades. Like, dude. 
The this trauma, guy. though. Oh my god. The trauma that you're like out, like having like fucking dollar beers at your like. And you're <laughs> like, your, holy, like, I was not expecting to have to deal with this. You're right like, now. I am not sober enough for any of this. I was like, this. that sobers you right the fuck up. I'm sure. Right the fuck up. Mm-hmm. He told Allison his name was Tian and kept talking to her, knowing he needed to try to keep her conscious. Mm-hmm that a severely injured person who fell asleep was far less likely to wake up. When she squeezed his hand and pointed to her stomach, he realized she was trying to tell him something. He saw only a small bruise at first, but when he couldn't get her to straighten her legs, he realized there must be something seriously wrong. He lifted the shirt and was completely shocked when he saw her intestines, covered in twigs and leaves, piled on top of her stomach. Considering this second major injury, he couldn't believe that she was still alive, let alone conscious. Mm. Tian knew they needed to get her to a hospital immediately. As they waited for the ambulance, he told her he was going to ask her some questions, partly to get information for the police and partly to help keep her awake, mm-hmm. and that she should squeeze his hands once for yes and twice for no. Using this technique, right, he was able Because she can't speak, she right? She can't talk, yes. Oh her, God. yeah, her head is almost off, basically. Yeah, yeah. So, like, so her vocal cords, her windpipe, everything's fucked. Yeah. Using this technique, he was able to determine that two men had done this to her and that they had raped her and stolen her car. When he asked about her car, Allison drew letters on her chest and Tian was able to figure out the make and color of it. I need to get so much better at understanding Right? Literally, like, when Uber's like, this is what the car is, I'm like, I have no idea what that is. I don't know what a Nissan looks like. Sure. What color is it? I will look at the front and see that it's a Nissan. I don't even look at that. That's what I've got. All of the cars look exactly the same. That's all I know. They all look ex- so exactly funny. the same. The only cars... Double check your Ubers, Monique. Don't. I know, right? Fuck. All, the only yeah. cars that look different are the very expensive cars. Like, obvious. Yeah. Like a Lamborghini. Like a I, know what, yeah. Yeah. I know what a Ferrari looks like. I know what a Lamborghini looks like. I know what a Bentley looks like. But those have very specific builds that even, like, a yes. dummy like me is like, oh, yeah. I know. That's a Rolls Royce. Of course. All the other cars like, look exactly like the fuck Roy- the yeah. same. Yeah. So to be like, it's a... Camry, I don't fucking know. Like, if this happens to me, I'm completely fucked. I'm so fucked. I'm like, it was, like, kind of blue. I don't know. No, it's silver because everyone has a fucking silver car. And they'll be like, yeah, thanks, bitch. That didn't help at all. That's super helpful. It had four doors and four wheels, and it was silver. Seat belts. Cool. I don't know. Yeah, sure. <laughs> I would be useless at this, too. Again, unless it was something really obvious. Yeah. Or I happen to, like, see it on the back, whatever the fuck it's saying. Right. He felt her pulse getting dangerously weak, but said that he could tell from her eyes that she was still connecting with him. He told her she had the most beautiful green eyes, which made her smile, and he continued to talk to her, trying to keep the conversation light. When two hours passed and the ambulance still hadn't arrived- What the fuck? Even- Yeah. Yeah. I'm including this part because I felt that it- It's outrageous. kind of- It was outrageous- it continues. There are some other things that are a little Emergency services doesn't mean you show up two hours later with a fucking Duncan and be like, I had to right? stop and like get a nice coffee. What things? I didn't want to run the lights. Yeah. So again, two hours go by. They're not there. Even the unflappably calm Tian was starting to panic, though he made sure not to let it show. Finally, he heard the siren and told Allison not to worry, that he would stay with her till they got to the hospital. He climbed into the ambulance with her and told his friends to follow them. However, despite the severity of her injuries, it didn't seem like the driver was in any great rush to get to the hospital, even going so far as to pull over when they were unable to get a drip going while they were driving, and Tian 
was frustrated with their lack of urgency. It's like, hello, I'm sorry. Are your eyeballs not working? Are you not seeing what this is? This isn't someone who's like, hi, I have a migraine. Like, this woman's yes. insides are on the outside of her, which is not how the insides are supposed to work. Yes. And apparently they weren't even really, like, speeding that much. Like, he was like, can we, like, go, please? Like, get there? Like, she's dying right now. Look, yeah. We, look, I understand. Again, you I'm have, including like, this because points it's on your fucking, like, you know, license, and you're like, guys, I can't fuck that. But you're an ambulance. You. That's what the siren is for. Hello. You get to run all the things and uh, flaunt all the rules. They don't apply to you anymore. Do things just work different in South hospital. Africa? Do they have to stop at fucking red lights? I imagine they don't. I don't think so. Well, considering that Tian's like, hi, guys, um, uh, quick question. Uh, what the fuck is going on here? I'm going to guess probably not. Correct. Yeah. Anyway, so get on your fucking shit emergency services as the siren goes by. <laughs> They're like, I heard that. Right? Like, I'm coming for you, bitch. He kept talking to her, telling her they were almost there until eventually they screeched to a halt outside the casualty unit at the Port Elizabeth Provincial Hospital. As they rushed her in, Allison was still awake and holding Tian's hand. He promised her he would be there when she woke up right before the hospital staff rushed her into surgery. She was still conscious enough to sign the consent form and even managed to clearly write her mother's phone number down. How many fucking hours is this? It's like three hours? At least? So she was taken at one o'clock in the morning, around one o'clock in the morning, and she makes it to the hospital... By like four thirty in the morning. So three, three and a half hours of this. Yeah, basically, yeah. Two of which is waiting for the fucking ambulance. Yes, yeah. The whole ordeal was only an hour and thirty minutes. It was only yeah. ninety minutes long. Yeah, three and a half hours. Outrageous. The wait for the ambulance was longer than the men held her captive for. Like that's actually fucking crazy. It's outrageous. It's like table flipping inducing outrageous. It's actually yeah infuriating. Dr. Valida Angelov, the doctor who operated on Allison, said, quote, In my 16 years as a doctor, I have never seen a patient like this. So fucking lootly. I'm sorry. Here's the thing. I feel like if you're a doctor and you're like, this is like a Tuesday, I don't think anyone will be a fucking doctor. Yeah, right? You're like, I see this all the time. Like, no, this is fucking You need crazy. to be like a psychopath to be like, this is fine. I'm unfazed by this. Yeah, of course. He continued saying, I have never seen such brutality, end quote. Yeah. I mean, because that's yeah. what it is. Because that's what it is. It's fucking brutal. Her thyroid had been sliced in two, and most people would have died from that wound alone. Even a small nick to the thyroid during surgery can lead to substantial blood loss and death. All the main veins in her neck had been severed, and it was a miracle that somehow her attackers had missed her main arteries and her voice box. That's because when they ran her fucking blood test, they found she had an abundance of HBIC in her blood. Right? For real. Boss bitch. Yes. Girl, Allison. Like. Work. Queen Allison. Get it. Yes. Work. Queen. Ugh. Dr. Angelov was shocked that she had survived it all. Theoretically, it was impossible for her not to have aspirated the copious amount of blood that must have poured from the wound. She should have choked on it, but for some reason, she had not. This is a fucking miracle. The doctor said, quote, I could not explain it, end quote. It's a miracle. Yes. That's, I mean, like, it's a fucking miracle. Literally, basically all anyone called it. Because, like, the odds of you surviving this are, like, basically nothing. The, no, it's they're, like, like, less than nothing. So small. Yes. Yes. Further cataloging her injuries, the doctor noted that her entire small intestine was exposed. 
It was covered in dirt, sand, leaves, and various other foreign objects, and had been ruptured by multiple stab wounds. In a weird twist of of luck- Oh my god. Yes. In a weird twist of luck, however, she had voided her bowels when she was being strangled before she passed out. Which so ended up not... reducing the risk mm-hmm. of infection, yeah, which would have shit. been unavoidable, yes, if the bowels had been full. Yeah, totally. After three hours of delicate surgery, Allison was moved to intensive care for continued observation. There was still a possibility that she still might not make it, and the doctor requested that the nurses monitor her around the clock. Dr. Angelov honestly didn't know how Allison had managed to survive these horrific injuries, saying, quote, I am a scientist, but this case... I had to admit to myself, was truly a miracle. Yeah, End quote. that's it. That's the only actual logical explanation. Yes. The amount of all of the coincident, quote unquote, like, it, this just happened. It happened to be that she evacuated her bowels. It happened to be that they missed this. Like, there's so many happens to be that it's a fucking miracle. And like, your neck is not that much like surface area. No. Like, how do you miss all your Especially arteries and your voice when box you're when you're just fucking going? Yeah. And you're just going crazy over there. Yeah, because it yes. wasn't one slice. They were, like, going fucking ham on her. Well, are you ready? Because I'm about to give you the statistics here. Let's go. Yes. Because during Allison's 90-minute ordeal, she was stabbed over 30 times in the stomach, and her throat was slashed 16 times. Again, nearly decapitated, on the disemboweled, and just, like, whipped her head forward and was like, fuck it. I'm not letting these fuckers win. Like, absolutely not. I... The the thing that's coming to mind is if if anyone saw the the OJ thirty for thirty, which I think it was called like the I don't remember what it was called, but it, it's the it's the thirty for thirty ESPN documentary. It's like three I believe it's three um, parts. It's excellent. Uh, they show the post mortem picture of Nicole <gasps> Brown Simpson. Oh, I can't even she imagine. Monique. I cannot even imagine. Almost completely decapitated, like. Almost, and that is just the image I have of this fucking woman. Considering that I'm she's sure like, that is accurate. My yeah. head just flew back, and I was like, mm, let me just take like, care oh, of that. Oh, that's weird. I can't just see that standing. Yep. I'm just going to flip that forward real quick like a Pez dispenser. Like, what? What is this? Other than <sighs> you're a band, Allison. And this is a miracle. Literally. It's the combo Amazing. of those two. Yes. Ugh. Insanity. Dr. Komen, the anesthesiologist, said, quote, I fought in the Rhodesian Bush War, and I have never seen anyone with injuries like this survive, end quote. Yeah. But Allison did survive. Yeah, she fucking did, baby. Fuck yeah. Despite being disemboweled and nearly decapitated, she made a full recovery. And because she remembered everything about that night, she was able to identify her attackers from police photos while she was still in the hospital. Bye, bitch. Bye. The men were Franz Dutois and Theans Kruger, both of whom already had a history of violence against women. Oh, of course. Shocking. fucking course. Yeah. They were dubbed the Ripper Rapist by the press and were promptly arrested after Allison identified them. In the subsequent trial, known as the Nordhook Ripper Trial, Dutois and Kruger pled guilty to eight separate charges, including kidnapping, rape, and attempted murder. Dutois Mm -hmm. said that he hadn't planned to take Allison that night and that she just happened to be in the wrong place at the wrong time. Do you, do you think that that's like better in some right? way? Right? Like, does that or is this just cool? Is this just to get rid of the first degree? I, oh, like I also premeditation don't know how, how, thing. I how the um thing works. But then, how the fuck do you know her house? 
So fuck you, you do. This was, there was a premeditation. I don't know. I also don't know how the legal system works in, in Africa. Obviously. Yes. I don't either. Again. Either way, the like, she was just there doesn't yeah. make it any better. <laughs> You're still a piece of shit. He's still a piece Spoiler. of shit. And wait, the rest of this I included literally just for you because I knew you were going to like <laughs> hard eye roll and be like, this fucking bitch. So get, get this, Monique. Okay. This is what he said I'm during ready. the trial. Uh-huh. He also claimed that the crimes he committed were actually the fault of a demon called Incubus that he had accepted into his life when he was 15. He said this demon made him sexually insatiable, but also highly attractive to women, and gave him telekinetic powers that enabled him to move objects using only his eyes. Yes. Okay. All yes. Right. Which, okay, I have to say one thing. Allison, because she hears this in the trial, is like, I'm sorry, you're sexually insatiable. Are you highly attractive to women and yet you have to rape women? Rape people? Because, like, aren't you, they just fallen all over you? Yeah. One other Sweetheart, weird... I have a fucking incubus, like, harassing me in my goddamn apartment. Literally. And I'm not harassing or raping anyone. I'm just trying to live my fucking life and pay my goddamn bills, okay? <laughs> and not wake up with so many bruises. God Literally. And not have yes. scratches in places I can't reach on my back. Yes. So... Fuck you. Yeah. No. He claimed that incubus had controlled everything that night and had told him to kill and rape Allison. Mm. And because that was obviously a huge load of horse shit... It should come as no surprise that in August 1995, both men were found guilty and sentenced to life in prison. Bye. Also, maybe this shit would have flown in like 1890 when my story was, was happening. Right? It's not in 1995. Yeah, thanks. Oh, you're right. 1995. Yes. Um, okay, thanks. Bye. Go fuck yourself, actually. Literally. That same year, Allison was honored as Port Elizabeth's Citizen of the Year, fuck won yeah. the Rotarian Paul Harris Award for Courage Beyond the Norm, and yeah. Feminine Magazine's first Woman of Courage Award. Fuck. Yes. Yes. Chills. Wanting to make yes. a difference and inspire others, Allison began traveling across the world to tell her story. She has spoken in over 35 countries and was one of the first women from South Africa to speak publicly about rape, inspiring others to come forward with their own stories. Tian Eilard, the man who helped save Allison that night, decided to become a doctor afterwards and even personally delivered Allison's second son because I have so many chills oh my god I feel yes, like I have a fever girl Ugh. because that's right against all odds and despite her attackers intent to specifically destroy her reproductive organs Allison was still able to give birth and turn her husband of 24 years tiny have raised their two sons together ah girl I fucking know in 1998, Allison's story was published in a book titled I Have Life, which I did not include in my sources, but actually is one of my sources. Uh, I only read excerpts, but what I did read was very beautiful and very touching and very well written. So if you're interested in like the check full story, out. check that shit out. That's basically where I got the entire account of the attack of her night mm -hmm. because everyone, all the articles were very vague about it, honestly. Right. In 2016, Alison Botha's story was made into a documentary called Alison, directed by Uga Carlini. Just after beginning work on the film, Alison and Carlini were informed that all prisoners sentenced prior to October 2004 had now become eligible for parole. After this announcement, Dutois contacted Carlini from prison using a warder's cell phone and had the audacity 
to offer an interview on camera in exchange for a signed letter of forgiveness from Allison and backdated profits from her book and motivational talks. Go. My jaw is on the floor. Fuck yourself, dude. Seriously. I literally can't comprehend the audacity. Where do you get off, dude? Seriously. I mean, that alone should be like, we're adding 40 more years to your sentence. Right? Like, you obviously don't feel bad. Like, yeah, no, you're not eligible for parole anymore just for saying that sentence. Thank you. Trash. Yeah. Obviously, they denied that because fuck you. Bye. Yeah, bye. No. This is like a a Michael Scott um, in the office when he flips Toby the bird and he says, take two of these and call me in the morning. That's absolutely the response it should have been. Yes. Yes. Which, because both Monique and I are doing it, it's take four of these and call us in the morning. And I hope you choke on them because fuck you, dude. Go fuck yourself. Allison, Queen Allison, continues to share her miraculous story of survival as a source of inspiration, hope, encouragement, and healing for others. Saying, quote, remind yourself that you do not have to take responsibility for what others do. Life is not a collection of what happens to you, but of how you've responded to what has happened to you. Fuck yeah. No matter the circumstances, you always control your attitude, your beliefs, and the choices you make. Ten thousand fucking percent. What Girl, a goddamn queen. I know. And that, everyone, is the, literally, the miracle of survival for Alison Botha. I know, girl. Claps, claps. Like, what a fucking queen. Holy fuck. Girl, such a bamf. Also, such a bamf. I'm sure Monique will help me in putting this on the Instagram, but you can sign a petition to fuck, yeah. fuck those fuckers from ever getting parole. So, yeah. I signed it yesterday. Have a link Great. for it. It's too I'll put it to up like on, on the link, um, our link tree. I'll put it up. You're amazing. So you're amazing. sign the petition. Allison's amazing. You're amazing. Allison's amazing. Fuck, Fuck. this guy. Fuck these Fuck assholes. Fuck these assholes. For real. Literally, the least you could do is take five seconds out of your day to make sure these motherfuckers never get out. Yes, please. It doesn't even cost you money. Like, I appreciate it. I'm sure. Yeah, Allison would appreciate it. Yeah. Yeah. You didn't have to make your name public. Like, fuck it. Yeah. All of the women who exist on the planet that are possible prey to these pieces of shit, if they get out. Appreciate it. Really appreciate it. Yep. Yeah. Um, holy fuck, that story was insane. Right? I felt it was a good way to kick off the new year, right? Yeah. Inspiring. Absolutely. No and also died. horrific. Yeah. Horrific? Horrific and inspiring, Monique. That's my sweet spot. Check what I love. All the boxes. I love it. You check all my boxes, girl. Girl, same. I love you so much. <laughs> I love you so much. I'm glad we had a week off, but I'm also glad to see your face and that we're back. Likewise. Likewise. Um, what a fucky way to start the year. Yeah, good. I'm glad you liked it. Girl. I hadn't heard that one before, and I was honestly like, never. How have I not heard this? This is the most fucking insane thing I've ever heard. You know, I, I think last podcast mentioned this of like, there's certain stories that are just like too horrific to be part of the, yeah. the like collective unconscious, or like, you know, that's why, like, Ted Bundy is Ted Bundy the worst? No, no, not by any stretch of the imagination. Is Jeffrey Dahmer the worst? Sadly, no, not by any stretch of the imagination, but it's like gruesome enough and they're attractive enough that like people can deal with it. Yeah. Like most people don't know about the toy box killers with good fucking reason. Oh, I can't read about it. It's it's too far for me, honestly. It's like, yeah. It's actually the only episode 
of last podcast Mm-mm. that I couldn't listen to again Mm-mm. because it was ac- the actual stuff of nightmares. No. And, you know, you have things like, like Richard Chase, horrific. And most people don't really know about the ins and outs of Richard Chase because it's fucking horrific. horrific. So yeah. I think that there's a thing like, in a way, like Mary Vincent, for instance, is more manageable because she still had her fucking head. Yeah, like your arms you know? horrifying, but you're like, okay, I, her my insides brain weren't on her outsides, mm. and her head didn't flip back. Yeah, because it was basically like attached by like a string to the rest of her fucking body, basically. And I think that there's just a thing that, while there is a thing that you know, a fascination with the macabre and true crime, you know, that exists and has kind of throughout time, there's like a yeah. limit to it. Your brain still has a certain level of self-preservation where it's like we don't actually need to see yeah. this, yeah, or hear about this. Yeah, and I think that's what not everyone knows this insane story. Yes. Because, like, your brain's like, I'm just going to tap out of this. Like, this is actually that's way a too lot. much. Yeah. Honestly, the first story lot. Johnny ever suggested to me to do for the podcast, I read about on Wikipedia, and I was like, I don't, I don't think I could ever do this story. It is just no. so horrific that I, like, yeah. my brain, I never, ever want to say these words out of my mouth. Albert Fish was the first and only time I got nauseous reading about something and I had to put it down and and, and step away from it for yeah. a few days. Yeah, dude. The toy box. Because of how horrific Dude, the toy is. box killer thing is what I thought the house of horror or the house of terror right. thing and was going like, to be. <laughs> yeah. And then when, I, then when I was like, oh, he just like nicely like murdered all his his whole family in their sleep. Like I was like. He gave them sleeping pills before he killed them and then gave them Christian burials in their fucking lower like, deck. Oh, like the terror. Uh, the terror of that. Yeah. No. So that's where my brain is thinking when I'm thinking of house of terror. Yeah. And that was not it for the record. No. That was just like no. a house of sadness. It was like your dad's a dick because he can't admit he's broke. Yeah. And then somehow he's justified that you all have to die instead of him coming to terms with the fact. And instead of him telling you and letting you know that he's yeah. broke. Because that's all it comes down to. Yeah. I would rather have to go out and get a second job than, like, be murdered. If that's if that's the only option we have, like, tell me. I'll get another job. I don't want to be murdered. Thank you. That bullshit was just because he was like a – he was like – account or some bullshit like that he's oh, like some sort of french royalty and he's like well i can't i forgot about be, that part of it yeah you know some sort of royalty get the fuck over it trash fuck that guy fuck that guy fuck these guys fuck these guys but you know who we're not saying to fuck off you guys because you guys are fucking amazing thank you so much for listening to the show uh happy, happy new, new year, year. starting this shit off right baby hell yeah uh if you don't follow us on the gram already uh, we're at another fucking horror podcast. You can find me at Pin Up Girl Mo. You can find me at Lobotomy, and that's Lobot period Amy. Every six episodes, we do a True Listener Tales episode where we read your stories, the crazy, spooky, true crimey, what the fuck shit. And if you want to submit your story for us to possibly read, you can email us at another fucking horror podcast at gmail.com with a period instead of the you in fucking. Guys, we're so obsessed with you. Thanks for being along with us on this very bizarro journey. It's been a great year and we're looking forward to the next year. Keep it cute. Keep it creepy. Bye. Bye.